Well, it's the time of year that the uh, the forecasts come out from all the big shops. Uh, I, I haven't gone to see what IDC's um, enterprise... Well, let me back up. I think it's all IT spending that they come out with because it's in the trillions, which means it includes consumer spending. I don't know if it includes gaming, uh, but you know it probably includes like uh, Apple. I bet, you know, as always, if you took Apple out, maybe you would have the IT spending for the year. Uh, <laughs> depending, there, I'm, I'm, I was listening to a podcast going over like, of course, like, you know, chip supply chain stuff and Apple comes up and I'm always reminded like that. Wow, that is amazing. They make so much money and, and uh, they're such an integral part of uh, society. Anyhow, uh, Gartner and Forrester, I haven't checked IDC and I don't know what what are the other ones? Ed Canalysis or something? There's there's yeah. about five or six like disparagingly maybe some of them. <laughs> yeah, yes, for, <laughs> forecast. But it it looks like. Let me start as always with our concerns, uh, fellows. And it looks like in the software and cloud and cloud services business, we're looking at about like it. It is a decrease from earlier forecasts, but we got about a five not a, not about a way too precise a five point one percent growth rate. Uh, in spending ahead for us uh, in in this year. I think it's CY 2023. We're not looking at an FY, uh, which is fine. So you might need to load up the spreadsheets and adjust it uh, if you're on some sort of uh, like present company. No, I can do calendar years. Financial years <laughs> are so much harder to keep in my head. In, indeed. The wrong one. And, and so uh, it looks like, so their, their estimate is there's going to be 4.5 trillion of, uh, I think this this is, as I like to joke, I think this is terrestrial spend. I don't know if the secret world of low Earth orbit and moon and Mars colonies, if this is included in it. So we've, we've got 4.5 trillion of terrestrial spend, which is a 2.4 increase from last year. Again, I think it's calendar year. And uh, it, it looks like this quarter is... Uh, the, anyways, I get all this stuff mixed up because who cares? But like in, in the segment that we're in, we've got five, 5.5% growth. So as, as people like to joke from the lovely show Arrested Development... There's always money in the banana stand. Uh, so w- whatever may be going on in, in the economy, software tends to be a, uh, a good bright spot. Because after all, if times are good or bad, you need computers. Uh, it's always uh, a requirement. Things will be a lot worse if you don't have computers, is, is, yeah. is my general finding. Except when it comes to, you know, your own self-mental health. However, that's a topic maybe we should discuss at some other point, is like, I always imagine myself, you know, trying to encourage my kids to spend less time on the screen, but it's really interrupting the time I'm spending with my phone to manage that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, so that trillion in gaming, I, I feel like I contributed heavily to that, trying to buy Fortnite V-Bucks this Christmas for my kids. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, we're obviously in the same space there. So, so yeah. what are you, you know, you're always scanning the news out there, listening to the wires like that guy in heat. Uh, you know, up in the, the, the camper, as you would say, on the, the mountaintop. What, 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 what are you seeing as far as the forecast and the spending, you know, in, in the, uh, at the moment, in the, in the past, like, 60-day moving window of, of buzz? 60 days. Was it within that? I'm not. Probably. Um, I mean, much the same, right? The, you've either got the doom-mongers saying everything's going down, even the cloud providers, you know, are seeing a slowdown, hence all these layoffs, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's some analysis. Who was it? Bernard Golden. I think we talked about before, mentioned before, maybe name dropped, whichever, um, pointing out that underlying growth for them was still going up. And I think we all still feel that, right? that it's still, like I said, software is still a good place to be. It might not be as good as it was a year, a year or two ago, but it's still a good place to be. I think you only have to look at, you know, again, the chat GPT kind of stuff, right? It's very mm. easy for software to just suddenly everyone go, wow, that's a cool new thing. And that, that has dollars attached to it. I've already seen all the the YouTube videos spanning off that of people then saying, great, we'll hook it into here, here, and here. 
So whether it's cloud, AI, all these you know, data, they're still going to make changes. They're still bringing value and doing new things. So I, I still think there's a sense of optimism. The finances might go down, right? But yeah. long term, people still feel like that's going to come good. We should still be in it somehow. And, and I, I guess when it comes mm -hmm. to forecasts, that is, it's, it's perhaps the most, is it inhuman or unhuman? Uh, I forget how Rob Zombie put it in that song way back when. But uh, anyway, it's like the most inhuman sort of forecast because it doesn't really indicate how many people where they'll be hired or, or laid off to uh, help yeah. enjoy this spend. But it, did, it does look like the, the other thing in this coverage that I think is interesting and ongoing is this um, dissonance is too fancy of a word, but I will use it nonetheless, is uh, the notion that like all these, these tech people, I think the current roundup from... Uh, as John Gruber kind of posted in, from a CNBC article, is that there's about 60,000 people in the, 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 it's probably mostly US-centric, but in, in the kind of tech world that uh, have been announced that are going to be laid off. Boy, that was a sentence that my uh, sixth grade English teacher would have just puked all over uh, right there. Um, but meanwhile, as, as covered in both the Forrester and the Gartner forecast, uh, or maybe only the Gartner one, like there's still... Uh, regular or normie enterprises are still desperate to hire people. So mm. it is this odd, like this odd sort of uh, disconnect between the two of them. But I don't know. See, it seems like, you know, from your perspective, Ben, when you see these forecast numbers, what, uh, what do you do? Are you like, Oh, got to go get another cup of coffee or, uh, or do you get excited about them? No, I think, uh, I think Ed's right in terms of the, the industry itself is surprisingly resilient to um you know these sort of downturns and i'll take five percent like that's quite a good number i'll take it yeah that sounds great and uh, you know you were talking about other parallels so so i did see one about gaming there was a there was a survey about gaming in in the uk it's quite important to the uk economy it generated 11 billion gb pounds last year so oh wow um, so it's a big industry and there's been quite an explosion in things like university courses that deal with various aspects of uh, game creation mm. you know everything through from project management all the way through to you know art design and graphics and uh, storytelling and everything really so you know yeah kids screen time what do you do about that it's like it could be the best time of spending in the day yeah, <laughs> yeah. career wise it could be but at the same time it might yeah be. no and, and, I, and i think i mean just to rat hole on that a little bit like it is i i remember when i was a kid i spent a lot of time trying to like send a message in a bottle in my memory palace of like, hey, remember when you thought those adults were a bunch of, you know, these video games are melting your brain and TV? Like, just remember what you thought about that in the future. And so I try to apply that kind of uh, that kind of uh, thinking from my childhood. There's a lot of other messages in a bottle I sent that you just open up as an adult and you're like, yep. That's that's what a six year old would think, <laughs> but but anyways, like that, like like I do, I struggle with. I guess it's more as always about the time you spend on good activities versus bad ones, right? Because I I played a lot of King's Quest, and even though I shouldn't have been at the time, Leisure Suit Larry and Sop with Camel, things like that. Risky. Yeah, but but then also like I spent a lot of time typing and uh, you know writing things and stuff like that, and and I often like. I haven't, as always, when it comes to kids, I can never, my kids, I can never figure out how to have them both understand and then 
enjoy the dad wisdom I give them. And one I try to tell them is like, if you just spent like four hours a week on wholesome activities, I would almost not care how you spend your other time. But you got to like, there's this floor of helpful stuff you got to do. And before it's, I don't know. And this, this is, this isn't a parenting advice podcast, although. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everything, balance in all things. That's what it's saying, isn't it? Balance in all things. And, uh, you know, I, I like the reference to the memory palace there. Uh, sadly, I'm in, I'm in charge of the DIY in my memory palace, so it fell to pieces <laughs> year, years and years ago. You're just the, uh, you're just, the, you, did you, did y'all, did y'all uh, have uh, that show we had in the States that was, uh, oh, what was the name of it? It was one of those big family shows, and there was this, there was this, uh, the, the, the super, the repair person, Schneider, with the, the leather vest, and he would run around with his, uh, his big old, like, Magnum PI 70s mustache and his belt of tools, and uh, he's always fixing stuff up. You got to have a Schneider in there doing things. Well, speaking of DIY, uh, you know, I thought, I thought a, uh, a topic that might be interesting to go over is just kind of, uh, I mean, this is a reoccurring topic, but kind of, um, um, you know, you can't use the word trolling anymore as in dredging stuff up, right? Like, you know, where you would like throw a troll out there to just kind of like collect up. So I need to find a new word for that because trolling has been taken over to mean something entirely different. Anyways, as, as a kind of collecting up of, of what we're seeing in, in the area of low code, I'm always really interested in what's going on there. So, you know, um, first of all, uh, I just by coincidence of, of planning this, I was at a um, uh, like one of the like an executive dinner uh, two nights ago now in Brussels. And I just happened to uh, one of the persons, the persons, one of the people I was sitting next to, I was asking, he brought up low code and I was asking about it. And they, this person was, had been using low code a lot in, I forget what type of organization it was, but you know, big, big, uh, enterprise organization. And there's a couple of things that, that, that he said about low code usage after doing it for a couple of years. One, he said that the promise of it, that the kind of the initial promise of it works like that you can actually use low-code platforms to quickly put together applications. And then there were two other things, but then there were two drawbacks that he was concerned about or potentials for better management of, to put it one way. And the first one was that it can be a very dangerous uh, tech debt legacy trap situation uh, because you can have people like spin up or or do these kind of low-code apps and part of the speed and also kind of profile of doing it, like kind of the community sort of, it doesn't encourage, but it inadvertently encourages not caring about the the multi-year sustainability of the architecture and the application that you're doing. You know, not that high code people are that much better at it either. <laughs> but, uh, but at least have it there as a maybe we should do that. Yeah. That's right. They, they, it's, it's at least in their uh, top 10 principles you should live your professional life by. Like so many top 10 principles through time, they are often not followed, except for the really critical ones. Um, and then the third thing that he said that was, that was interesting, because this is a topic of, you know, being in software vendors, we always have an odd relationship with. He, he was like, there also is a pretty high degree of lock-in that you have to worry about. Like there's not really portability from one clo- low-code platform to another, let alone any portability. So it is something you have to worry about. And like the kind of like analysis that, that, that we ended up on was that like, yeah, it's probably great if you go in assuming you're just going to 
get rid of this application after a year, right? Otherwise, it requires a lot of thinking for, for like multi-year stuff. So that's my, uh, my readout. Maybe that's a better word than trolling. That's, that's my sort of like gathering of, of the low-code thing at the moment. But uh, how about yourself, Ed? What, uh, when, when you bump up against low-code stuff, what, uh, what are you seeing out there? Um, I just see a massive to-do list for me. As in, I find it kind of fascinating. It's not an area I've ever looked at much. And I, I can't remember when it was, maybe a year ago. But I remember also that whenever the last big Microsoft, probably Ignite was, there was a whole section on low-code, no-code and their whole sort of power platform. And it's something that uh, where I am, Jersey, this tiny little island, we've got a little sort of digital sector that's trying to do more of this kind of stuff. And they ran a course on no-code or low-code, no-code which I couldn't do. It was during the week. And I just thought, you know what, I'd love to learn all about it, but I've, I've got other stuff to do at the minute. And that's where it's perpetually sat. But I watched a bit of the, the Microsoft one, which had some sort of very intriguing, you know, take a photo of this scrawled on paper and it will turn it into a UI and do this stuff mm. for you. Wow, that's cool. That think, wow, that, yeah, that looks brilliant. That's very well done. Huh. And then a bit of me think, but it won't be that simple, right? Because if it was, we wouldn't have developers. And now, and again, I hurried, sorry to go back to it already, but ChatGPT comes up. And again, I think, right, actually, it's one of those areas that has snuck up on me. And I've heard lots of noise about it. I know we had someone internally at VMware who, who turned around a project in a short time frame as a very much solo effort using Microsoft's Power Platform, pulling info out of Salesforce, did a load of stuff. And there was a, you know, an internal talk about it. And it's like, wow, that looks brilliant. That looks like something I could be, I would be looking at and going, how can I, like the news gathering, there mm. must be a more efficient way than me doing what I do. And it, whether it's one of these no-code platforms, low-code, whether it's a better way of, you know, scraping it, all that stuff is its definitely in the realm of I should be able to go and say to ChatGPT, do all this stuff, and whether it's that or some other, and it just every week presents it to me. Yeah. And that is coming more and more, and I haven't looked at it. And I, one day it's going to just take over something I did, and I'll be like, oh. <laughs> so, you know, for me, that whole – whether it's Power Platform and there's others, I'm sure, but um, – there's an awful lot in it I'd like to learn. Well, well I'll, you know, uh, I, I, I agree with you about the, the gathering stuff. And, and if, you, if you ever figure it out, I mean, I mm. think I have spent 25, maybe even 30 years trying to perfect that process. And it all basically always amounts to just like way back process. when literal or virtual <laughs> post-it notes just left <laughs> on a desk. Like that's, <laughs> that's pretty much best of breed information gathering. But in, yeah. in your, in your memory it. palace, though. this desk is Indeed. in your memory palace. That's right. Yeah. How, how about yourself, Ben? What, what have you been seeing in the, and thinking about in the low code area? Well, you, uh, you, you kindly sent me a link. There was a, uh, about, um, it was from the new stack, an article about Amazon's uh, code catalyst, which they uh, came out with at the sort of end of last year, which is kind of like, low code for all sorts of developer problems you know mm. where do i get my ide from how is it set up um, how do i start a project with some uh, you know new piece of code how do i get that deployed into uh, environments like staging production development etc uh, and and they came up with this code catalyst thing which is a whole sort of suite of stuff didn't they that that kind of um formalizes all that so that you don't have the problems that are associated with 
um, regular developer environments, things mm. like um, uh, environmental shift, you know, sprawl, where, where where things have moved over time, and not everyone on the team is on the same versions of stuff, for example, uh, which cause it, which can cause problems with builds and various other bits and pieces. So, um, I was looking through that article that you sent me, and I, I was I was sort of reading it and digesting it, and I, and I came away with yeah, there are some fundamental things that it would be really nice to solve, like this problem with um, drift, you know, between IDs, for example, or the problem of how do I get started with a project with, you know, decent templates and that kind of thing that's yeah. codified all your standards or a supply chain, you know, and this, anyone who's been following my stuff knows I'm doing quite a bit of stuff on the supply chains at the minute. So all of that is good. I think everyone sort of there's a consensus around that that sort of stuff is good. And having that as low code as possible helps people to be more productive. So that is all good. I think the problem with things like like Catalyst and, and like you were saying, Kote, about, um, you know, other low code platforms is I am left with a sense of, yes, but in a year's time, if I want to switch away from this stuff, I'm not going to be able to. I get the feeling I'm going to be very locked in to a vendor's particular view of the world, and I don't see much in there around open source standards or things that will allow me to port what I've done mm. to another place safely and efficiently. And I think that's um, one of the problems. I think the other one, possibly specifically just with Code Catalyst, was I just didn't see anything in that sort of review, if you like, from the new stack about solving the issue of discoverability like it's okay to have one team working really well but the stuff they produce needs to be seen by a hundred other right, teams. right 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 so so if that's not exposed well you know if there's no sort of backstage um gui for example where they can go and have a portal that all the developers can use where they can see each other's stuff and see each other's apis and each other's documentation and each other's um microservices you know where they're running and all that sort of stuff then what have you really done? You've you've created a very smooth way of creating more hidden projects. Is that maybe why there are 17 different ways of doing containers on AWS? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 17 teams did their thing. I, I joke, right? They know better than that. But I, I see your point around that, Theresa. And and it's not even Kubernetes, is it? It's like EC2. Yeah. So, so you know, th th there's kind of like a, it fe felt like there was a lot of standard avoidance. Like, oh, mm. let's just avoid that open standard, <laughs> all that open source stuff, because, you know, it's not it's not ours. It's not invented here syndrome. I don't know. It just left me a bit cold. It's like, yeah, I think we can we agree on some of the problems that we'd like to solve, but I think we disagree on the solution. And, and how open that should be. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, to 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 kind of close that out, and then, and then there's something that you're making me me think of. Like, I think I find I found that well, one talking with people and seeing what they're actually doing when in 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 any area, but in the slow code area, like I, we were going over, is always useful. But like the thing I'm always very interested in is a lot of examples of the apps you would do with it, right? And I and I think that like it it feels like you know, what we've all kind of said is there's a good category of problems, or if you want to be super fancy jobs to be done or whatever, uh, that, that you can apply this to if, you know, like anything else, it's a tool that used well accomplishes the thing. The old, uh, you know, you don't want to use a screwdriver to, to uh, drive in a nail, even though sometimes you're like, I don't want to go back down the ladder. 
I got this screwdriver here. Let me let me just try to use yeah. this. Oh, well. I do DIY. <laughs> <laughs> and the the other thing, which I think you know, it's a topic we should think about how we can like talk about ongoing is is this idea of discoverability, right? Because it's it's a big. I think it's almost like a. I don't know what the phrase is. A submarine topic. Like in this whole area of like, I don't know if people still say DevX, but like, you know, developer experience and getting better at software that comes up over and over again, but there's not a lot of discussion about it, right? So if you look at, if you look at the Tanzu application platform and like, you know, similarly like, or, or the same, like what's going on in backstage and all sorts of things, like a huge component of improving developer experience is just like, as I like to joke, getting a better intranet. <laughs> where developers can like discover stuff, not not that what's going on publicly on the internet, but that what's going on inside their own organization. And as you were just talking about with low code, like discovering what other people are doing and seeing if you can use it, right? Like, and I think that like just not diagnosing, but finding that idea and then kind of describing how to solve it. Hopefully, in in. CY 2023 will will uh, will come up a lot, and I think, you know, it, it's reminding me of we had this this other concept called inner sourcing, which might be one of those things we can revisit. There was a whole inner sourcing little conference last year that I have bookmarked in my mind palace uh, from last year, and maybe maybe there, there's there's one person in particular, uh, one of my old IBM friends. Maybe we should uh, interview him on that topic because he's put a lot of thought into it. So anyhow. Speaking of uh, organizations, there's another another thing. Uh, the I, was it uh, was it Rachel? Uh, no, it was it was Stephen over at Red Monk. He had a uh, this is a little like vendor centric, but I think it can quickly if you're doing like platform engineering, it can quickly become not tech company centric if you if you're building the product of a platform in your organization. But he he was making uh, the point that. You know that we we of like uh, who have Conway's law tattooed on our. Uh, I always find it the metaphor is not good that you tattoo something on your forehead because then you can't see it, and you also have to write it in reverse, which means other people can't read it. So you should really have it more tattooed on perhaps the outside of your hand. You probably would see that more frequently than your forehead. It'd be good on a podcast. Yes, I'd see it now. My screen's reversed. Everything would be fine. That's true. It was it obviously w- invented for podcasts. Yeah, that, video, yeah, whatever this is. Good, good point. Good point. We we're solving a lot of mysteries of life <laughs> just right right now. But uh, you know, he was making the point that if you are building a a product uh, that especially focused with developers, you've got to like, or that is going to be used by developers. You've got to change your organization structure around to uh, kind of match the architecture and the development teams that you need. And I think, you know, particularly for for vendors, this kind of matches up, right? That you want to have developer centric uh, people doing it. But that's I wanted to explore that idea of like what are what are like the ideal organization structures if you're basically supporting developers. And and just to start out with, right? Like um, this isn't. This isn't contrary to it, but it doesn't fit neatly into it. I was talking with one of our, our, our customers at a, at a big organization, and they were noting that what they found uh, for their platform team is that, so they, they, they almost implicitly have divided their platform team up into two parts. The people who manage the runtime of the platform, the actual platform, and then the people who are basically the, uh, the interface to the developers, 
right? And they might do a little bit. This is commonly, I don't like this phrase, but I think this team is commonly called like DevOps engineering or even developer relations inside of a company. It's and changing. I, it's becoming platform engineering. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and the interesting, I mean, that not to go into that <laughs> that stuff too much, but the interesting thing that came out of that is is this person was mentioning that they found that you want to have these two teams in the same group because a little contrary to this point of structure, the let's call it, let, we'll just call it the platform engineering team, the, the ones that work directly with developers. They do work with directly with developers, but to have the most effect on changing the platform, they have to work even more so with the platform team, the runtime team that's building that platform. And that if you separate out this platform engineering team from the people who actually run the platform, your incentives just get misaligned and you don't, it just doesn't work. <laughs> and so like, you know, again, like that's not necessarily contrary to this idea of needing to change your, uh, your organization structure for developer experience, but it does show, it does show that you have to put a lot of thinking into like, where are you going to separate out product management when you're, you're doing things internally? But, uh, but how about yourself, Ben? What, what do you think of this idea of you're going to need to pay a lot of attention to the org structure for, if you're developing like we are vendors, like tools for developers or internally if you're uh, doing these platforms for developers? It, it feels right. It feels extremely common sense what uh, Stephen was saying there. Um, I read through it too, and I, and I was thinking back to my consulting days when I, when I was traveling around and visiting lots of people and, and trying to help them become more sort of cloud native. Every one of those organizations had a had a, a, a function. You know, it was either a bank or a retailer or you know, automotive or whatever. They all had a function that was around their product set, you know, and their organization structures were around their product set, um, including the, the sort of developer groups and things. And one thing that was very often forgotten about was, okay, if we want to be good at software, then we have to be good at producing it and getting it consumed by people and out into the open. And the way to do that is through platforms where you've got platform runtime folks who can make sure that that platform is healthy and you've got platform engineering folks who can make sure stuff can get on there quickly safely securely so that you've got confidence in the code that you're deploying right because mm. if you don't have confidence in your code you don't have anything you haven't finished <laughs> and so you can't yeah. have confidence every time so the platform engineers are about engineering in confidence you know they're about engineering in safety and security as well as speed uh you know s speed is not everything there's a whole bunch of other stuff that comes along with it if you want to be fully confident in what you're doing um, and i think that's what spoke to me about steven's article there was that um it, it's a case of you have to think about your organizational structure and you have to budget for those two teams to exist if you yeah. haven't budgeted for them to exist you're probably not serious about it. And if you're not serious about it, why? Right? Because <laughs> it's sort of fundamentally important. So he had these two fundamental questions to ask yourself about your organizational structure and about the way that you're incentivizing and, and investing and using your budget, your IT budget, 
and where that spend goes and saying like is that spend going in the right places do you have these two teams are they well funded do they have a good remit do they know what yeah. they're um, goal is uh, so. I, so I thought it was excellent. So I really enjoyed reading that article. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you're reminding me or buying me the time to think about to, <laughs> to explore the memory palace more. That I, I think to kind of summarize the point he was making, I I, kind of, I didn't really explain this well enough, but he was saying that tradi- it, it, d- the way you organize to deliver a service is different than the way you organize to deliver a chunk of software, <laughs> right? And and like and I think he was this probably can you know, I used to work at Red Monk and be an analyst and these these kind of posts often come up after a call you've had with someone. And so I would imagine he was talking with a public cloud provider and they were going over this stuff and he's like, "Oh, there's a good blog post," which is there speaking of how the 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 virtual post-it notes everywhere. It's always good to uh, be looking out for that. But, you know, I I think Internally, and that definitely applies to like vendors, so to speak. But I think internally, it, you you were just explaining it like that. We were both explaining it. The way it applies is if you're in an IT organization and you're organized around delivering a service, and you know the SLAs and the uptime and something working, you still need that. But you also have to realize that you are going to need a different organization structure in addition to that about delivering a product, a chunk of software. And it's just a different way of thinking, a different set of incentives and things like that, which is um, unfortunately easy to uh, to miss or something. Well, we, we just have a, uh, a short one here. Well, some people might consider it long, but it's short for our typical, uh, our typical thing. We'll, we'll put links to all of these things over, as always, at uh, tanzutalk.com if, if you want to go check that out. And uh, usually we broadcast these live. Today we did not because of some exciting enterprise procurement processes, speaking of organization structure. Uh, so uh, this is just the audio-only edition of it. But, uh, you know, we record sometimes on Tuesdays. I think we'll probably, I don't know. I'm always screwing that up. Who knows? We have no predictability due to me. But any, you should go to uh, tanzutalk.com and subscribe to this and uh, check out the additional notes. And uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. All right.